for your podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stressed and distressed, restructuring, and post York in the European and SEMA markets. It's Tuesday, March the 21st. I'm Caterina Dassier. And I'm Andrew Ross. Coming up this week, Leverage Finance reporter Beatrice Mervolian will discuss the highlights from the primary market this week. Managing editor Luca Rossi will take us through the latest on Credit Suisse, including the Swiss regulator's decision to wipe out 16 billion Swiss francs of the bank's tier one notes. Finally, editor Robert Chack will discuss the upcoming restructuring of German elevator parts maker Witter ahead of an expected liquidity crunch. Hi Beatrice, and welcome to the podcast. How is the primary market looking so far this week since the merger of Credit Suisse and UBS? Hi Kat, thank you. The primary market is starting to look a bit uncertain again since the merger was announced over the weekend. This morning we heard that chemical company Ineos Enterprises postponed its 820 million euro equivalent term loan B syndication because of market volatility. Limited deals are expected to come to the market over coming weeks as a result of the uncertainty, and and some of the deals currently in the market may struggle, investors have said. And Beatrice, in what ways uh, does Credit Suisse impact the primary market? The direct impact on the leveraged finance market from the merger is limited because the bank uh, Credit Suisse does little underwriting. However, the indirect impact is that um, primary market activity will be will likely slow and pricing will widen following a shift in, in secondary market prices as, as a result of the uncertainty. And also the Credit Suisse failure wasn't the only negative macro news recently, was it? No, the Credit Suisse merger followed other negative news which contributed to the gloomy sentiment in the market, including the fallout from the failure of U.S. tech industry lender Silicon Valley Bank and the publication of U.S. Consumer Price Index last Tuesday, which showed that although the annual rate of inflation slowed to 6% in February from 6.4% in in January, it was still high, contributing to investor expectations that the, the, the Fed is going to continue to increase interest rates this week. Um, the ECB interest, raised interest rates by 50 basis points last week. However, reports suggest that the Bank of England will not increase its rates after um, the policy meeting on Thursday because of the financial sector turmoil. And are there still any deals in the primary market? So French insurance broker Diot Sayassi is marketing a, a 150 to 200 million euro term loan B add-on to repay its partly drawn RCF. Hong Kong-based Tricor Vistra, um, which is a corporate services company, is um, uh, marketing a $1.66 billion equivalent term loan B, which will partly support the merger of Tricor, which was acquired by Asian private equity group BPEA in 2021, and Vistra, which is also acquired by the same PE in 2015. Commitments were also due today for beauty packaging company Albea Beauty's three-and-a-half-year extension of its 444 million euro term loan B due in April 2024 and its refinancing of its $129 million 2024 term loan B. Okay, so still a few. And uh, what about last week? Did any deals price? Yes, um, French nursery operator Grandier priced a 125 million euro term loan B add-on to partly refinance an equity bridge used for M&A. 
and UK petrol station forecourt operator uh, Motor Fuel Group priced a three-year amend and extend of its 2025 sterling and euro-denominated term loan Bs. Thank you, Beatrice. Hi, Luca. As discussed with uh, Beatrice, everyone has been talking about Credit Suisse and its merger with UBS, a huge piece of news that had very important implications. Can you tell us what happened? Hey, Kat. Yeah, I'll try. It's a pretty difficult one. So let's take a step back. You remember the case of Silicon Valley Bank in the U.S.? So the bank that collapsed a couple of weeks ago and whose depositors were rescued a few days later, well, that had an impact on the whole international banking sector and investors started looking for the next bank which could be in trouble, as it usually happens in these situations. So Credit Suisse has been hit by many scandals over the past years. Its performance has been bad. We're talking about the annual biggest loss reported in 2022 since the global financial crisis, and also significant outflow of the client's money from the bank's accounts. Also, the company reported a quote-unquote material weakness in its internal control over financial reporting in its annual accounts. Uh, The message was that something about the bank's uh, numbers could be very wrong. And as a consequence of that, share and bond prices of Credit Suisse started to fall, the credit default swaps started to rise, and a key shareholder of the group, who is the chairman of the Saudi National Bank, ruled out any form of support for the Swiss lender. Wow, it sounds like the perfect storm. What happened next? So the Swiss National Bank offered a loan of 50 billion Swiss francs to sort of stabilize the situation. And Credit Suisse also put out a tender offer to buy 3 billion of its senior notes. After an initial small rebound, um, both shares and subordinated bonds of the bank kept dropping and dropping. And then something really, really unexpected happened. What do you mean? Over the last weekend, UBS, which is the biggest uh, bank in Switzerland, frantically put together an offer to buy Credit Suisse. That offer was approved by the Swiss National Bank, the government and the Swiss financial regulator, which is called FINMA. But this offer completely wipes out 16 billion Swiss francs of Credit Suisse additional tier one notes or the so-called 81s. So what are these 81s? These are notes that were launched after the 2008 financial crisis to bolster the capital ratios of banks. So the rationale is the following. If a bank becomes insolvent, the first ones to bear losses are the shareholders, then the creditors, and only at the very end, the taxpayers. So 81s are perpetual notes, so notes without a defined maturity date, which have a very attractive coupon but can get equitized or fully wiped out if the bank's CET1 ratio goes below a certain threshold. So basically, if the bank appears to be financially very stressed. 
According to European laws on banks' resolutions, the 81 creditors, these are bonds, don't forget these are notes, the 81 creditors should be wiped out after the shareholders of a bank. But in this case, what happened? UBS paid 3 billion Swiss francs for the shares of Credit Suisse. So the equity holders suffered a big, big loss, but weren't completely wiped out. On the other hand, the 81s were written off to zero. Oh, I see. And why did this happen? And who owns these additional tier 12 notes? So usually hedge funds and wealthy investors in Asia are big on 81s. I mean, we're talking about a big global market for these instruments of around 250 billion US dollars. On why did this happen? Well, that's uh, that's a million dollar question. So we have published today a legal analysis on this, which shows that the 81s of Credit Suisse do allow a full write-down ahead of equity in a non-liquidation scenario. And here the bank was not liquidated. This was a merger. We have also discussed that these bonds have a viability event clause, which is triggered if Credit Suisse, and I quote, receives an irrevocable commitment of extraordinary support from the public sector. And this seems to have happened. I'm talking about the 50 billion support from the Swiss Central Bank, a 9 billion government guarantee for UBS from the Swiss government, and an extra liquidity of up to 100 billion from the Swiss National Bank to support the merger. Also, if you look at the bond prospectuses of uh, Credit Suisse 81s, the regulator FINMA has a big discretion to intervene and write them down to prevent a bank run. Okay, got it. Um, and Luca, what was the market reaction to this? And what do you think about the decision? So the market was understandably all over the place. A lot of 81 notes tumbled uh, around 20% across Europe uh, yesterday. And a lot of people believe that the asset class is now pretty dead and that the bank's cost of funding will increase dramatically. Remember that a lot of banks relied on 81's issuances to fund themselves. So I think we should expect a lot of litigation procedures coming from the holders of these securities. Also, a question mark remains over the current valuation of these instruments, which are now more unlikely to be called by banks. In terms of what I think about this, it's surely a bold decision by the Swiss National Bank, which seems to reverse the hierarchy of losses in a bail-in scenario. That said, most of the information was in the documents. It was in the bond prospectuses. And uh, these documents granted a massive discretion to the regulator for these very risky instruments. And my impression is that a lot of investors did not read the documentation properly. Thank you, Luca. Hi, Rob. There's been a lot of advisor appointments on Witter recently. What's happening with the company? Hi, Andrew. That's right. The German elevator component company has been struggling with margin pressure for some time, which has impacted its cash generation. And with base rates having increased significantly over the last few quarters, the group's all-floating rate debt has become a lot more expensive, which could result in liquidity pressure this year. 
The Bain Capital-owned group, which derives a significant chunk of its earnings from China, is also facing a challenging macroeconomic outlook this year, given that it is fully dependent on new builds and modernization for sales. As a result, the company is launching a preemptive restructuring. Vito appointed a CRO and brought in EY in February, and mandated Hulhan Loki and Kirkland and Ellis shortly after. KKR, which has accumulated most of Vitor's second lien debt in secondary, retained Rothschild and Simpson Thatcher, while the first lien lenders formed a steering committee and are working with PJT and Millbank. Canadian pension fund PSP Investments, which bought a 30% stake in Vitor from Bain back in 2019, has mandated Molus. Okay, so it sounds like everyone has advised it up. What happens next? The shareholders Bain and PSP will need to decide whether to inject additional equity into the Vitor or walk away. The companies are on 10 times net levered on a cash EBITDA basis and likely worth 7 to 8 times at best, which means the value breaks in the second lien debt and the equity is currently underwater. Since Bain recovered its initial investment through its minority stake sale to PSP, it could walk away, but for PSP it'll be more difficult, so it may opt to put in new money to preserve its stake. Lenders are largely expecting KKR to pick or equitize the second lien debt, which it bought at a substantial discount with a view to taking over Vitor. Vitor is going to report its 4Q22 results later this week. To find out more about the situation, please join us on our upcoming webinar on Wednesday next week, in which we'll do a deep dive on Vitor and explore the potential options for the stakeholders. Thanks, Rob, and looking forward to the webinar. Join Reorg on March 22nd at the AFME's Warsaw Seminar in collaboration with Baker McKenzie, which will highlight the key trends, opportunities and challenges that 2023 is likely to bring to Europe's leveraged finance market. For more additional information, email marketing at reorg.com. We would like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. More information on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, reorg.com. We hope you can join us next Tuesday for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.